Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Nathan with Customer Imperative and the Gain, Grow, Retain community. And uh, I've got my friends, Jeff Brunsbach, my business partner, and Christy Falterusso with me today. We do this every week on, we, we just changed it. So we're doing it Wednesdays now around noon, 12.15 Eastern time. Um, but we go live and we record a podcast at the same time, just a Q&A podcast. So questions we get during the week in uh, DMs on LinkedIn or via email or the community. And we try to answer them together. And we sort of talk about customer relevant, recent customer success topics and um, try to share you know, some of what we're seeing and learning out there. So what's up, Christy? How are you? I'm good. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with something that this is a challenge or a question or topic that... I've had to address as a leader in all four companies that I've been at and something that I, I think we've had to address in very different ways. So I'm very eager to hear both of you, how you think about how we should handle this and kind of refund some ideas. But um, one of the challenges that we're faced with is, you know, our segment and I think everyone's goal, right, is to grow your customers over time. I think with COVID now, we're also experiencing the downturn of customers, right? Customers contracting in size also. So it's really the idea of how do you manage customers who have either outgrown their current customer segment or have contracted in a way where maybe they have to be put into a lower segment. And so there's the benefits of moving them in a timely manner, right? To give them the right resources at the right time. Um, there's also the risk of like, now you're creating a point of friction where you're transitioning them away from like a great CSM who may have a very strong relationship. And, you know, that can be very disruptive in the partnership. So I'd love to just, you know, start and I don't care, Jay, Jeff, you guys decide one of you. Um, what are your thoughts on, on how you might broker that and handle it? Yeah, um, I'll start. I, so I think it's really interesting because this happens all the time, uh, especially in, in a, you may have thrown this out, but the customers that, that merge with one another, they yeah, grow really okay. fast. Yep. Um, and all of a sudden they maybe outgrow like the team you had around them or, or the engagement model you had for them. Um, I think it really, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that I've had to do in the past to, in it, well, let me say this first, sorry, I'm like bumbling. Um, it's good to have some transitions in your accounts every once in a while because there's this whole relationship versus value thing that we talk about a lot. And if the, if, if the value of the relationship is the relationship, then you might have a problem. So in my mind, if a CSM is the only reason the customer is staying, that's a problem, right? And it can be a value add and I get that, but we don't want our customer relationships to be dependent on any one person at any given time. So I'm interested to hear what people that are listening to this think about that perspective. Um, but I think it forces us to write things down. So when I've had to deal with this in the past, um, it, it really brings to mind to me like the transition plan. How, how are you, in, are you doing it gracefully? Are you transitioning somebody else in? Uh, what are you saying to the CSM? I think you made this point as we were talking about this topic earlier, Christy, is that the CSM who now has that larger account because it's grown also still has 150, 200, however many other accounts they have because they're in maybe a commercial or a corporate segment where, um, you know, they have more on their plates than, than they had had before, right? And so as that account grows, they won't be able to give them the, the type of strategic attention that they need when they get bigger. So I don't know if I answered your question. I think I just talked into a circle, but what are your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, there's, I just wrote down two things maybe that come to mind that um, maybe dictate when you do this and in the transition that you do. So I wrote down how fast. So did they grow in kind of one transaction at a moment in time. And all of a sudden it was like they five X how much they were worth to our business and the, the value and what they're doing. Um, and so if that's the case, then I think if it's moving in a large amount very quickly, then I think you probably have to try and, and transition quickly as well. Like I think, you know, you need to identify that you need to make sure that they're going to, they're going to see that you're already adapting your 
methodology and the way that you think about customer success to fit their needs as they go forward. Because um, I think that's probably an important moment for them where they're saying, again, it's almost like going back through the buying cycle again, where they're going to have this moment where they just, you know, they just 5X the contract and they're going through this whole trough of despair again. And so you need to make sure, hey, we're, we're changing the way that we're coming to you with resources. Here's how we're going to adapt this um, and, and make that transition. The other one I wrote, the other question that I wrote was the skill set of the CSM, which I think is also interesting to think about because um, maybe a situation happens where you have a CSM who's been looking for ways to grow. They've been, maybe they're, they're due maybe a, a bigger book of business or more responsibility. Um, and this actually aligns with that. One of their customers wants to grow and you can kind of keep them with them. Um, and then that becomes a little trickier because of the point you mentioned where, well, if they still have, we'll say 200 other accounts, then, you know, how do we start balancing that? But I think the skill set of the CSM uh, question also probably plays into this as well because you need to understand like could this CSM fill this role um, could they grow into it and do I want to offer that them you know over time like hopefully we can do that um, but if not then you you know again kind of to the situation earlier whether how fast it's growing grow, how fast it's growing um, if the skill set of that CSM isn't really going to translate then you need to cut the, the ties early as well I think um, and do it we've we've also seen how you can um, try and have moments throughout the year where you kind of rebalance everybody's book, um, maybe quarterly or twice a year. Um, and so you could have a, a cadence as well where you tell the customer, hey, you know, I know that you're making more commitments to us, but you know, we don't necessarily trans transition accounts until um, a couple points in the year. Again, that's a little more internally focused than externally. So we need to be careful about how we would word that. But uh, those are a couple of things that were just going through my mind is how fast and then what's the skill set of the current CSM. Yeah. So I mean I think we in the past I've done it where I've kind of taken all the things that you guys just outlined into consideration one from like a, how do you do it standpoint? We handled it the same way that we would any account transition, right? So it for, follows a very formal process that creates minimal disruption to our customer base, where it is one, you're very clear in the intention of why we're doing this, what the expectation should be for them, uh, how we're going to enhance the experience, especially if it's, it's growth in the account. Um, so I think we've got a, a good handle on that process of what that looks like. I think in terms of like sequencing these, I think it also depends on like the volume, right? Like how many of your accounts are outgrowing their segment at any given period of time? Because if, let's just say it's hundreds of those accounts. Let's just say expansion is something that happens organically and these customers are growing at rapid pace, which would put them into different segments or something of that nature. Perhaps then following a more formal timing and sequencing of that and saying like, listen, every quarterly we're going to do a reset because to keep track of that type of movement and those transitions in the day to day, like I feel like things are going to get broken. Things won't go well. It is hard to keep track of that. Also, if you are compensating your CSMs on retention and growth and all these things, making those movements might be difficult for finance to keep track of who is accountable for what success. Um, so I always think about it from that standpoint as well. Um, I didn't think about this though, Jeff, um, and I will tell you one more thing I did think about, but I didn't think about the point that you mentioned about the skill set of the CSM and perhaps perhaps keeping that as an opportunity to help them advance their career, right? Like perhaps they're at that juncture where they're being considered for a promotion or something. It's a good opportunity to kind of put them to the test and test their skill set. Like what can they do now that they've got this larger opportunity? But you do have to find a way to offset some of the business, right? Like to your point, we can't keep them at a full ratio for their segment and expect them to still deliver this different experience for this larger customer, right? So you've got to be prepared to also make transitions in some of their other accounts to give them the bandwidth to be successful, to truly assess their ability to do it. Um, one thing that we did try to figure out, not well though, so I will gracefully welcome anybody who's got great advice on how to do this, is how do you actually build out the leverage ratios and capacity modeling in your team to prepare for those transitions, right? Like I don't just have a bunch of my strategic customer success directors who've got 
bandwidth to take on four more accounts at any given time. Right? They're very expensive uh, employees to have, and they don't want to just be sitting around having like one account, right, and then waiting for three more to potentially grow. Um, so I'd be interested to hear how other people are thinking about staffing their teams to support those types of transitions. Um, would be something I'd be interested in either the two of you. And then also, what about customers that are contracting in size? Where do you put that? Like, you're now taking away a very high level experience and one where they maybe had a ton of resources allocated to them. And if a customer, especially during COVID, I'm sure a lot of people have been faced with this challenge is your customers are not as big as they were. Perhaps they're still customers have been exposed to this high experience and delightful account team they've been working with. And now you're going to like basically say, nope, sorry, not for you. Here's your McDonald's. Uh, you know, no more filet mignon for you. Um, well, I, how do you I handle that? You have, I think you have to think of it. So we think of a lot of people think of customer size purely by how much they pay us, which is not the right Correct. metric about that, to think yep. about, right? Like it, 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 you, the customer size may not have changed. Their contract size may have changed. It's hard to go backwards though. So um, we, we talk about this. I, maybe we talked about it on here. We talk about, we talked about it, um, when you're growing in the early stages of, of a, being a SaaS company, you might have 50 or 60 clients. They all get high touch at the beginning. What do you do when you really want to start segmenting that into a high touch and a low touch model? between your CSMs and by the way, onboarding and implementation and support and everything yeah. else, just leave them alone. Like let them keep that high touch because you probably need them for references. You probably need them for, there's other value that they bring to you and it's not just monetary. So my first inclination would be see if you can just keep it in place, right? Maybe you dial it back a little bit. Every, every CSM should have their own segmentation too. And I know this is like advanced, probably advanced topic, but not only should you segment your entire customer base and assign your CSMs appropriately, but even uh, the, the CSM themselves should look at their customer base, figure out who can grow, who, who's, who's going to get more of my time and who's going to get less, right? Yeah. And be able, to, be able to justify that as they plan out their work with their leaders. Um, so to me, you guys both talked about skill set and career development. To me, the, the key question that I think you want to ask is in the new larger organization that the customer now is, who, who, can the CSM get to the executive the same way that they were able to get to the executive team in the smaller organization? Right. And if the answer is no, then one, it's a coaching kind of opportunity to your point, Christy. And two, it's like, well, maybe that's not the way you want to interact with clients. So we are going to go ahead and shift it. And then the transition plan becomes really important. Right. First impressions last forever, usually. Yeah. So the, the more pre-planning you can do in that in that transition period, the better. Um, but I think to your idea of like sort of like reorganizing the whole thing once or twice a year, it also creates a lot of work when you do that, right? Because those yeah. transitions take two or three times the, the work on both of the CSM's part and whoever else is on the account team. It might not be just the CSM, uh, but people are having a lot of conversations. So anyway, th those are my takeaways from what you guys just said. But anything else? This is a good topic. I like it. There's, yeah, there's a couple of questions that um, are kind of along the same point that I wanted to throw out there too. So uh, Natalie White just said, hey, you know, downsells have been very difficult for us to handle. Interested to hear how others are dealing with those clients uh, that were high growth and now have changed spend dramatically um, is one of the questions that she threw out there. Um, so I think maybe two things come to mind for me is um, going into now that, you know, we are, I don't know how many months into this pandemic, hopefully by now you're interacting with your CSMs on a regular basis where you're talking about what's happening in the market. What are the industry trends that we're seeing? What are the, what basically what's the finance sector really doing as we go through this? I think that is something that you have to stay on a pulse with your CSMs about so that they have an understanding of where's the market trending. How are we, um, how are companies starting to open up their budgets again or not? Um, so hopefully that discussion I think is happening uh, with your CSMs on a regular basis. And the other things, uh, the other thing that I thought of too is um, 
going back through and to Jay's point, we always think about segmentation uh, as, you know, two points as what are they currently paying us today or what's the strategic value or potential value that they're going to uh, play in the future. And I think you have to go through and actually resegment the customers um, with almost like a third, like COVID type of segment that says, okay, now based off of where we are, like if they don't have the same potential, um, then, you know, where, where do they need to be? And uh, the reason I bring up the resegmentation is because then Natalie, I think you can take the conversations uh, you can then help your CSMs think about the conversations they should be having ha having with those customers. You can have some talk tracks. You can have a couple of key points that you want to make sure and, and really give your CSMs a coaching, the, the ability to coach them on the conversations they should be having in each of those segments because they've changed. And, you know, now we're talking to a high growth customer who's low growth and we need to be changing our talk track about what, where's the value we're providing, where are they going um, and how we're reinforcing what we're doing. So those are two things that came to mind, but Christy, I'm curious if you've, um, got anything for Natalie to think about as she's having these downsell conversations? Yeah, so you know we've been faced with having to have those conversations with our customers as well. I think the business impact we see in our industry is a little bit different because our customers they're managing fleets and you know they're connected operations for their companies, and so in that world. Um, a lot of these companies are actually selling off their assets, right? So whether that be if they're in the construction industry, they're selling off equipment. If they're in limousine companies, they're selling off their entire fleets, bus companies that manage global transportation. Like transportation is down so much, especially in the corporate and global sectors. And so for our customers, it's not a matter of like, we're going to make some concessions now and help them and they, they might regrow. Like they're actually like changing their entire business infrastructure right now and contracting their business. Um, and so I would think about it twofold. One, is the potential going to recover, right? Like, will there be growth again for that customer in the future, whether that be six, nine, 12 months from now, or is that potential gone indefinitely? Right? Like my customers with some of these, like, that's it. Like they have changed the size of their company. They have laid off people. They have sold off assets. They're only going to operate as a very, as a much smaller entity. Um, and so that is my, that's my total potential right now. So think about it in terms of like, is the potential gone or is it deferred? Um, and then think about it like, how can you redesign value for them today? How are you going to help them maximize the value out of the partnership today in a way that's going to make them feel like you're on this journey with them? Because I do feel like repositioning yourselves, re having different conversations and, and kind of moving away from that growth mindset and really helping them understand how they can exist today successfully will also probably open up conversations you hadn't had um, or weren't available to you previously. We found that making a lot of the concessions that we did with our customers, with our COVID plans, actually so many of our customers were so grateful that we actually did something where we made huge pricing concessions up front. We restructured all of our contracts and extended them out longer. So if we offered them four or five months of concessions right now, we added four or five months on the back end of the contract. We got very creative with things, but our customers were like, you know what, given your ability to work with us, like we're viewing you as a partner. We're excited about the growth opportunity because we know that once we get through this, we're gonna get through it together. Um, you are a true partner. And so we've kind of handled it in stride and really, I guess, not been too overly programmatic about it because we do believe that every customer and in every industry is being impacted in a different way. But I would say like, do the best you can to model and emulate an environment that's going to help your customers continue to be successful regardless of their current size and opportunity. Yeah. Okay. So here's another follow-up question from this one's from Lauren Worth, Worthen. And I hope I said that right, Lauren, but she's got a situation where they have a hundred thousand plus customers. So how do you monitor these kind of changes at scale? Is her question, which is sort of like the antithesis of what you just said, right, Chrissy, which is like, you guys have a lot of enterprise level customers. You know where everybody stands because you're probably talking to them every week. But what happens when you have 100,000 customers? Or, uh, hey, take it even lower, right? 10,000 customers. It's still a different, it's an animal of a different color. So Lauren, if I didn't get that question right, please correct me on the, on the chat. But what would you guys say? I think the first thing is 
I mean, you have to go through, I mean, when there's that many in sheer number, I mean, you have to look at some of the dem demographic data you have on the accounts themselves to start, uh, I think to Christy's point, let's go and find industries that are severely hit versus moderately hit versus not hit at all. And you have to start to look at big groupings and then um, start to segment even down further. So I think if you have that many customers, you really have to start thinking about the industry or the other demographic data that we're able to capture as a first starting point, just to continue to maybe drill down into a, a number that becomes manageable. Um, I think your, the, the technology you have as well, um, I think this could be a case where you send out um, potentially a micro survey or something that can help you also orient as to kind of who's has, who has their hair on fire versus who doesn't um, and how do you approach them um, in a way. I mean, I, I think the one answer that's coming to my mind that I don't think I like and I don't think a finance or a CEO would like, right, is like just go give blanket discounts uh, to this segment of the population, which is, you know, I don't think ever a good idea. Yeah, I was, or I was surprised. I was surprised by that, Christy, honestly. We, what, we our ability that. to be flexible and just, offering the I mean, we didn't, I mean, just so you know, we didn't put up a bulletin on our website that said, please let me know if you'd like reduction in your contract. Um, but for customers that proactively sought support, right? Like how do you turn your back on them? Right. We're all, every business is struggling. Everyone is going yeah. through a hard time. So it's like, how do you show up for your customers? We were prepared. We created a model that allowed us three different points and plans that we could offer. And our customers opt into one of them are really, really big customers. We took a different approach. It was more custom on how we would work that because obviously it had bigger business impact to us. But generally like our long tail, we have, I mean, we don't have as big of a long tail. We don't have a hundred thousand small customers. We've got uh, a couple thousand though. And so for them, it was like, it is a, a pick your, pick your own destination. Here's three different options. What works best for you given the situation and like, let's embark on this journey together. And so I think, you know, I think it was smart of us to approach it that way because our customers loved that we were prepared and we had a plan. And, you know, again, it was, it was such a small percentage of our customers too. It was not, when I say this, it was like maybe like 3% of our logos in total that we made concessions for. So it wasn't, we didn't yeah. have like 50% of our book coming to us to say like, our hair is on fire. Sorry, got to go. But, but I love that. So that bring that reminds me of a podcast we recorded with um, Jane Graham, who leads renewal and customer success at Kronos. And she talked about right when COVID hit, one of the things that they, that she did, it was go to her finance team and said, what are the two to three to four options that I have available to me as the leader that I can put out in place. And so I love the way you just outlined that though, because in that, you know, again, back to Lauren's question, I think around the, the way about, you know, hundred thousand customers is like, that could be it. I was like, Hey, here are the three options we have. Like we're trying to work with you, like pick one of these three options and let us know. And because we're comfortable with all of them. Uh, and then, you know, because I think the other, on the flip side of the coin, you can't say nothing. You can't do nothing, right? Like you're going to get, you're going to get blasted by your customers. You're going to get blasted by, they're going to leave anyway, right? Companies. Like your business won't be yeah, impacted yep. during COVID, but a year from now, guess what? You won't have a business anymore. So Exactly. But yeah, I like the idea of, of having the options though and actually laying them out so that they could um, pick, like you said, you know, choose your own poison and we're comfortable with these because, you know, we've already modeled them out with finance. We've already understood like what the impact could be to us. Um, so I like that approach a lot too. And it was a very simple matrix. It was, it included industry, customer size. Um, it was just, it was pretty, pretty basic, right? Keep it simple is what they were trying to do for their team. Okay. I think we beat that one to death. Um, what, what's next? Jeff, what was yours? Do you have one? Uh, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm actually going to, we'll see how the share screen goes right now. I'm going to share it just for a couple of minutes and then maybe I'll turn it off. We'll see. We'll see what shows up on LinkedIn live. But um, we had a good thread going on the community around uh, career advice. So Alex Tran had put this out there. And I think this is a question that I probably get most in my um, inbox, in, at least on LinkedIn. Uh, this is probably the, the biggest one I get. 
Um, and I've actually had this in my career. I had the, this is like early in my career, this is a, a question that I had to answer myself. Um, so I'm curious to throw this out to you guys and see, um, and see what we, what we get here. But the question that he threw out was being a high performer or individual contributor versus being a people manager. So, um, you know, it looks like Alex has the option uh, to go a couple different ways in his career. Um, and so I was curious, maybe Christy, let's start with you from your standpoint. Um, you know, how do you think about that question? How would you, you know, if you have somebody on your team kind of mustering with the same thing, like how do you approach this um, from your standpoint? Yeah, so I'd say, I think the first thing is, um, I think people don't realize that you can grow in your career and you don't need to be a people manager to grow, right? Like I think managing people, and I tell anyone who I have the opportunity to share this with, but managing people is the hardest part of what I do. Um, it's not managing my customers, not building out the processes and the orchestration of what I do internally. Literally, it's the people management um, to do it well, right? Like if you actually take it very seriously and people managing, um, it's complex, right? There's a lot of nuances to it. And so it's not cut out for everybody. So I think you also have to take a step back and think like, I can be successful if I go either route. Is people management really something that I am extremely passionate about? Is it something that I want to do? And like, do you truly understand what's involved with it? Because I think people think that it's like, it's a power thing, right? Like you run a team, it feels like there's something, something really big, much bigger about that than if you just run like one massive customer. And I just, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think you have to think about it differently. Um, I would say also from an uh, organizational standpoint, your company should be providing you with paths that can go either route, right? It should be very clear to you if you are an individual contributor today, what your long-term career path would look like should you decide to go the IC route or if you go a people manager route, um, because you should understand that there is growth in either direction and you shouldn't have to sacrifice one passion for the other. Just because you're good at being a strong IC does not mean you will be a strong people manager. And I feel like that's something that a lot of companies get wrong, especially early on in their infancy as they're growing, right? You're going from series A to series B. I, I can tell you a million times over how many times I've seen strong ICs get promoted to people managers because they were strong ICs. And that's just not the right way to approach it, right? They don't necessarily have all the ex experience and expertise to go and build a team, scale a team, build processes, build infrastructure, drive change. Um, and so I think we get that wrong a lot of times. Um, I don't have an answer for anybody on this. I think it really is a personal preference of like what direction you have to go. But I do think that you need to know that it doesn't need to be one or the other. And you do need to partner with your company if you do want to stay there in understanding what options you do have to stay in either route. I had a, uh, a CEO back when I worked at Blackbaud, one of the, I, I became a manager for the first time when I worked at Blackbaud, um, I don't know, 2006, 2007. And um, we went, we were going through standard management training and our CEO of course came in and kicked it off. And, and he said, congratulations, you were all so good at your jobs that we decided to level the playing field and make you managers because this isn't about being good at your current job, right? This is a completely different job. And I think it, so, it's hard when you're in an earlier stage company and you have to sort of play both sides. You have to be an individual contributor to some degree and you have to be a people leader. That is a difficult transition to make in an earlier stage company, but it even is hard or difficult in larger companies too, because I personally, when I made that transition, I got stuck owning some stuff that I owned when I was an individual contributor. I thought I was the only one who could possibly do that work. And it was, it may have been true to some extent, but everybody is dispensable at some level, right? So it took me like a year to transition away from my individual contributor work. And it completely took away from my transition into leadership, into management, right? That discipline and that, that thing. So I think people need to recognize that if you want to make this shift, it's, it's a wholesale career shift, right? If you do it right. The other thing is, uh, and I talk about this a little bit, it's a little bit of a sort of a platitude, but 
leadership does not have to be management. You do not have to be in management to be a leader. Um, and so like, we need people that are individual contributors to be leaders of the team and to, to lead spiritually in what we're doing. And it makes a really big difference um, in the business to do that. So those are my, those are my thoughts on it. I, I say, you know, if you want to go into management, great. If you want to test the waters, great, but just know that it's a different, a different job completely. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't have anything new to add except for his personal experience. I had a, I had a boss when I was uh, moving up in my career and he, he started to give me some of the responsibilities as I was an individual contributor to see if I actually wanted to go do those things. So it wasn't a lot, but it was basically like, Hey, you know, can I, um, can you go, you know, do this with one person and, you know, you become their person and now you have to do check-ins. You have to make sure you're thinking about them. You have to, you know, you've got some of the responsibility. And for me, after I got the taste that I was like, you know what, I do like this. Like, this is something I think that I would like to go do. And to your point, Christy, because the, the stuff that follows on with that is, starting to think about process and how do you develop the team. And then it's really much more about, I mean, as much as I don't want to admit it, you know, individual contributor is a lot more selfish and it's, it's, it is like, Hey, do I have my stuff done? Uh, am I going to get, you know, am I going to get hit my metrics and uh, you know, it's about the team, but at the same time, I'm, I'm mostly worrying about myself. When you become a manager, it is all about the team because you know, typically your compensation is going to be tied there. The processes that you're measured on uh, is going to start going interdepartmentally. And so you're going to have sales leaders, marketing leaders coming to you saying, Hey, do you have this process tight? You know, or do we actually need this? Um, and you need to be, able to be able to answer those things. So that's another thing that just comes to mind um, as well for me too. What are you showing us, Jay? Yeah. So this is sort of what Christy was talking about, like having that career map that is, that goes from, you know, geez, I, you see me like fumbling around with all my windows here. So sorry about that, <laughs> everybody. But like, this is a good way to think about what you were saying too, Christy, which is like, you've got individual contributor, you know, ranks in your, in your business. Um, and then, and by the way, this is different for every team. So engineering will look a lot different than customer success and maybe even services and maybe even certainly sales. But, um, and then at some point there's a place where you get a choice. You've made it far enough as an individual contributor where you get to choose. Do I want to go onto a, a higher level individual contributor path or do I want to move into a management path? And so, um, anyway, it, I think it's a helpful thing. I didn't come up with this. A, a friend of mine that I worked with for a long time at Bicloud did. Um, but I just, I like the visual there because it sort of shows like, yeah, we need to have something that is a similar career level seniority, but doesn't have the people leadership responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I would say the one, the one thing I would say is like, make sure that if you are moving into a, a people management role, that you are getting the proper support and guidance and coaching from your leadership team, whether that is through formal training or their coaching and guidance, but be set up to succeed and really kind of push it, push to make sure that you are. Um, I've seen a lot of people fail in that role, but not because they couldn't do it, but because they were not set up to do it well. Um, so I would just put that out there. If you're a first time people manager, go through some formal training, get some proper coaching. It's not as simple as you think. And um, don't try to emulate another leader just because they were good at some point in your career. Touche. Totally. Well, uh, we've only got a couple minutes left here, but I, I want to hit on this topic because I think it'll be good from uh, Daniel Sonenshine, I think. Uh, hopefully I've got that right. But he had posted in the community as well. Um, and I'll share my screen real quick just so we can all see it together. But uh, his question was, to DM or not to DM, and it said, hey, CS peeps, uh, are any of your teams communicating with US-based clients via DMs, non-email channels? Um, I think we could probably go into a wormhole uh, down this topic as well. But, um, you know, Christy, what are some of your initial thoughts that come to your mind uh, when you think about maybe direct communication with a customer or client um, from your one of your team members? All right, I have, I have two things, and one of them is gonna come from my previous career experience, but the first one is security protocols. Um, 
I am, maybe I live my life in fear, but if you are engaging with a customer and you're having conversations in a tool or system that is not managed by your company. So let's just say it's text messaging and you have your personal phone. It's your personal messaging. Your company doesn't even pay for any stipend or anything. It's your phone. So it's just your phone. You're texting with your customer. The company does not own that data. The company does not have access to those conversations. That said, I'd be curious if as the leader, how you're getting those conversations tracked back into your appropriate systems. Do you have your CSMs? Screenshot, copy, paste, like, guess what? I'm sure the answer is no, you're not doing any of that, right? Like you're excited that they're even talking to their customer through that means. But the reality of it is, is you're losing a whole thread of conversations through that channel because it's not orchestrated through your company and it's not company proprietary data. So I, one, I think there, it creates a lot of risk in that sense that you're not getting full visibility. I know that I hear from leaders all the time, we need a single pane of truth into all things customer and have that visibility. Well, if you're not having it orchestrated through those types of systems and tools that are mandated by your company and they're not integrated properly into your systems, you lose that visibility anyway. So like, I get the value from a relationship development standpoint, but is there a risk that you are inserting here unnecessarily? Are you diluting the value of having that centralized location for all that, that data and customer information and that knowledge? Um, so I would say like, if you've got a great way to manage it and get it all back into your systems and your company from a security standpoint is okay with that, fine. But I would also just check with your company's security policies. If you don't have a CISO or CIO or somebody, make sure that that's okay first. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go the route or I wouldn't encourage anyone in my team to just go out and start like text messaging with their customers without raising it to, to the internal company to say like, are we okay with this? Like as a policy and procedure, um, on the other side of that, like, Yes, I think it's great if you set the proper expectations. Like, and this is where I said, like, I, I'm the wrong person to ask because I can go, I can you're be the playing, You're playing both sides of the ball. Listen, that is, that's, <laughs> that's how I win. But I would say there's a lot of value to it if you can set the proper expectations with your customers also. You don't want to set the expectation like that now that they have access to you, that is 24-7 access. I've had CSMs who, because you have Slack on your phone or you have WhatsApp on your phone, right? Like, you are readily available all the time and that sets a precedent with your customer and it is very difficult when on the weekend you're on vacation or you're here and you're, and you're not responding and the expectation for them is like wait like I'm, I'm texting you or i'm messaging like you're like why aren't you responding like this isn't what i signed up for you've got to have again i would say a policy and procedure on like how do you communicate to your customer what tools tools are available how to use them what is the appropriate communication that should be conveyed through those right like if they're submitting a technical support ticket and something's not working they can't expect to slack text or message you and say hey csm like this isn't working like no that is what zendesk is for and go submit a ticket to support right like so i think it's a lot about setting expectations putting the right policies and procedures in place but I don't know. I, I am going to play both sides of that coin. I see the pros. I see that. Yes, it's amazing. Um, I'm terrified. So like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to take the other side of that to begin with. Wait, I mean, is there another the side? Is there a third I side? See, no, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the second side, I guess, with that okay. initially, because I think there's, there's a lot of customer engagement. There's a lot of strategic involvement we've had, we have with our customers that can get squashed by the lawyers and by the, by the IT team right now. So, there's a couple things to unpack here. I know we only have a couple minutes, but first of all, if CSMs are getting urgent support messages, that's support. That's not customer success. So we need to build our support function so that it can handle that. To your point, you said Zendesk, right? I completely agree. And if it's weekends, people are getting called on the weekends, then maybe we need to have a weekend support structure because our, I used to work for a company that we sold to restaurants and retail organizations. Guess when they do a lot of business on the weekends that they hired people on the weekends. And that was what our solution did. So we had to have a, a way of doing that. Now I, I think, so yes, to everything you said, there's risk, but the, the problem is like, then we're expecting it's this, 
we're expecting the customer to communicate on our terms and not communicate on the channel or the tool that they prefer to communicate with us on, right? So I don't want customers having full access to my support team on Slack. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. But if I'm trying to create engagement with a customer, I'm trying to get to executives, I'm trying to deepen my relationship with a, with a key champion in that organization, then there's nothing more powerful than being able to send them a text every once in a while. But I don't want them texting me unless they're escalating something to me like, hey, we got this problem. I just need to make sure you know about it. Um, you know, can you help us out? That's different than, hey, this button isn't working anymore. You know, fix it for me, right? So am I support or am I actually a strategic relationship for that customer as well? So I tend to err on like, let's get to our customers and drive engagement any way we can and then figure out how to formalize it. But to your point, support's gotta be working. It's gotta be bulletproof. It's gotta be strong or customer. We talk about this all the time, right? Customer success doesn't work if everybody's down at the bottom of the stack playing a support role. This is a, uh, this is good. Cause I'm going to take the other side. Uh, I've lived the pain. Uh, Christy, to your point, I've had probably some of the most miserable Christmases uh, because I had customers texting me on Christmas and Christmas Eve. And like, I had to be doing work and like, and it's because we missed out the proper expectations at the very beginning. There's a whole, right. We could go back and do litany things. But I just think that until there's a platform, so the other thing that comes to mind and why I think this should be a no right now, why you should not be DMing your customers is your, your customers could have Slack, they could have Microsoft Teams, they could have text message, they could have, and so now I'm already, as an individual, I get a barrage of LinkedIn messages, uh, I get Slack messages, I get emails, now you're gonna ask me to monitor text, uh, other, now I'm, I'm gonna have to get Microsoft Teams. So I think until there's a solution that actually brings all of those notifications into one area for me, as an individual, I think it's a no, because then like, what if I miss a message, right? Jay, to your point, it's a great way to go drive engagement, but what if I miss a message for a week from uh, a contact, right? And it's because it was stuck in uh, an account that I don't look at very often or it was stuck somewhere else. And you know, like, I just think there's so many things that could happen and there's not a central way for us to really look at that and actually help the CSM. I think it, I'm gonna take the CSM side here. Like I had the most miserable time doing this because we had, we actually ended up having a Slack instance, a Microsoft Teams instance, a text. Like I had so many different channels to communicate with customers that it was, and that could be management's problem. We can talk about that later. But uh, I just think there's too many places <laughs> and too many noises that we're getting stuff now that it's never going to be scalable uh, at this point in the way that our technology operates. So I think for me, I would say not DM because once you open up Pandora's box, it's never getting back closed. Um, and I think it's always gonna lead to a situation where the customer is gonna text you and the CSM or you as the leader is gonna feel obligated to answer when you should be spending time with your family. And that's, that's more so my perspective. Yeah. That I, I think that we need to I'm go with you. a solution that centralizes all I was gonna say. I was just, I heard yeah. this million dollar idea is what I said. There's a product there. Now and we just gave all that goodness out to the universe, but. <laughs> yeah, take it back, take it back. <laughs> Well, just, and just to be clear, I actually have shut down Slack in companies that were doing that, right? So that were, so I, I could, I can take that side of the argument. I'm just trying to figure out how do we deepen our engagement with customers? And maybe it's know, a, anyway. maybe certain people, maybe it's certain segments, maybe there's a, like a way to like regulate that where it's not like you're opening Pandora's box and say, everyone go out there and text with all of your yeah. customers, right? Like maybe it is saying, talking to the executive stakeholder or the executive buyer and saying like, is this a form of uh, communication that you're comfortable with? Or like asking early on, like, how do you like to be communicated with? What are the best channels? We're happy to tailor our communication style to meet you where you want to be met. But you're not saying that to your point of contact, your data lead. Maybe it's just to the executive where you want to make sure that you've got that strong relationship hold. So I think and, yep. and people, they're high enough to like probably have a very strong perspective on how they want to be communicated with anyway. So they probably welcome and appreciate the proactive ask. 
Yeah, totally. All right, we're out of time. So this is a good one. Um, for everybody watching, if you're not part of the Gain, Grow, Retain community, which is for CS leaders, customer success leaders, please go out and join. Very easy, gaingrowretain.com. It's free. Um, we're going to do this every Wednesday around, we always say 1215-ish Eastern time. So come join us again. But um, thanks, Christy, for your time. Jeff, good to see you for the fifth time today, as usual. I'm sure I'll talk to you shortly. And I uh, hope everybody has a good afternoon. Bye, guys. All right, see ya. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.